It is Friday, November 8th, 2019, and I see got grown-ass men singing about Popeye's chicken sandwiches. That's where we are, folks, because the new Popeye's, the, the chicken sandwich that just wowed everybody during the summer is back. It was back on Sunday. I had a couple of sandwiches, and that was that was interesting because I, I, I caught I, I caught an altercation like I assume everybody else has when they got their chicken sandwiches. Put it on my uh put it on my Instagram page if you want to see that. Uh oh yeah, there's been a whole lot of things happening since the chicken sandwich dropped. The woman tried to cut in a drive through line at, at a Popeye's in Los Angeles, side swiping her own car in the process. People are destroying their cars over a goddamn sandwich. And since the sandwich returned to stores Sunday after a two-month hiatus, Popeye's has been played with long lines, fights, and one fatality when a man tried to cut in line at a Maryland location on Monday night. I'm going to say this once, folks. Um, It's just a goddamn chicken sandwich. It's not going to change your life. Just another chicken sandwich in a sea of chicken sandwiches. You go any place on planet Earth and just get a goddamn chicken sandwich. I don't know why y'all lose your shit over this particular chicken sandwich. I mean, it's all right. I mean, it's it's spicy. Is the spicy one is definitely spicy, and a classic one is just classic. I don't know why y'all have to show y'all whole ass just for a goddamn chicken sandwich. Y'all acting like this is this is this is the greatest gift on God's green earth, but it's just a goddamn sandwich. It's a sandwich. You can make it at home. It's it's a sandwich. The easiest thing you can make food wise. Y'all just getting into fights and, me- and fucking up your cars and just. Ah, okay, wait. Let's just... Okay, I've been drinking. So um, let's see if we can get through this shit. Uh, oh, oh, let me tell you about the, the, the morning I had. Um, so uh, once again, I, I woke up at in the parking lot of a Walmart. And I decided to get some breakfast at the uh, McDonald's inside that Walmart. And there was this dude. In a football jersey with uh with, with dookie braids, no no, it's just, with just braids, with just, just barrettes, you know the braids with the barrettes, and everything. And he just looked at it, looked at me and said, "Hey dude, could you could you just buy me one sandwich, please, please?" And I'm just like, you know, I I got a couple of dollars in my pocket. He can get like a egg McMuffin or whatever the hell he wants. So he goes over to the 
to the uh, to the to the guy at the cash register, and he's talking about, yeah, can I get a, a some kind of sandwich? That we don't sell those anymore, and that that was a little suspicious. Then he tried to throw in a frat pay, and I said, yo, dog, just you said a sandwich, and he said, all right, all right, I I just get a sandwich, dog. He gets like some kind of sausage, you know, that sausage egg thing, junior thing, all right, and uh, like, all right, he's about to get it, and this woman. Uh, gives him the sandwich, and he's like, oh, that was fast. Yes, because it's McDonald's and McDonald, McDonald's, you know, fast food, that's their thing. You get food really fast. And so, you know, he, he's, he said, like, yo, can, can I get a fresh one? I'm like, nigga, this is, this is McDonald's. Nothing is fresh out of McDonald's. Just get your, get your sandwich, get the fuck out. And he's and he's and he's literally getting into it like. And the woman's just like, this is this fresh, it's all fresh. Can you just this is the sandwich we give people all the time? Just say, like, no, nah, I want I want a fresh one. And just like, and and he's having this argument with this woman behind the counter about the freshness of a goddamn egg McMuffin sandwich. And so, uh, you know, he, he, all of a sudden, he just started going, well, fuck y'all then. Y'all, y'all give the money back that dude. I don't want it then. And I'm like, what the f- nigga, you are, you are absolutely in no position to be picky at a McDonald's. You're at a McDonald's, my dude. And, and he, and, and that's when I realized, oh, this guy is fucking crazy. He is. He started doing the whole, you know, talking to himself and just, just, just boisterously talking loud and shit, and just he just sitting there, you know, just mad because the egg McMuffin or whatever was not fresh, and he didn't even eat it. He just like he just assumed, just like oh, it's fast, and I'm like, Nick, what the hell is your problem? Once again, you had a McDonald's inside a Walmart. It's not even a whole McDonald's. It's the McDonald's inside of Walmart, and you carrying on about fresh food. Here's the here's the, well here's the nice part. Uh, the 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 uh, the guy at the cash register, Esteban, I believe his name. He gave me, he let me know that if I come back, I he got I got credit on that sandwich I bought for this crazy motherfucker. He said like he actually told me, dude, I know you're trying to do the right thing, but yo, just like yo. This is what this is when I realized why, and this also reminded me why the needy here in Houston are just nobody wants to help the needy here in Houston because because um, the needy can be some picky motherfuckers. Just I've I've, I've been in contact with with several of them. Just like oh, can this that that. Just like nigga, you are. You don't have a pot to piss in or the Tupperware party to throw it for. What what? God damn! Just this, this, this one. This is why I realize is why people don't help out Didi because they have some of them just are are very particular. Oh man, just yeah, it's just fucked up that I'm kind of one of them at this moment. All right, let me see if I can get through the news here. Oh, sorry to the Astros for losing to the Nationals. As well, it's well, excuse, it's funny because like. They lost, and that, that was the last of it. Nobody's talking about the Astros at all anymore. It's the craziest year. I've, I almost forgot they lost. 
Uh, nobody's really. I literally work at a sports uh, media operation, and uh, no, nobody's talking about the Astros. It's just that's that's what happens once again here in Houston. When just like you know, if you win, you know, we can't stop talking. Oh, we got the world championship team, whatever, and just but when mint we lose, ah, oh, fuck them niggas. Fuck them with a with a glass, whatever. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to talk about Trump throughout this whole thing because I don't want to. Robin Crawford says she and longtime friend Whitney Houston had a sexual relationship in her new memoir, a "Song for You: A Life with Whitney Houston." We never talked about le- labels like lesbian or gay. Crawford writes in her memoir. We just lived our lives, and I hoped it could go on that way forever. Houston soon ended the physical side of their relationship. She said we shouldn't be physical anymore because it would make our journey even more difficult, Crawford writes. She said if people find out about us, they would use this against us. And back in the 80s, that's how it felt. Yeah, yeah, it's not as not as fluid as it was back in back in the day, you know, nobody, you know, people were still kind of iffy about the gay lesbian stuff. Just, you know, very unfortunate. Just to be be honest, in retrospect, I would have rather uh, Whitney Houston uh, come out and just be happy with who she is than you know than the other direction she chose with the. Uh, with the you know the king of R and B because they were just they were just deep down in the crack den near, near you know we we've all seen the photos where it's just it's they were just smoking up shit and it was just not pretty and it just messed up her voice and she's screeching in concerts and it was just oh man I know I know it's all fun to talk talk about Bobby Brown and just you know, talk about how he did my prerogative and all that shit, but you know, dude was a bad influence. Let's get let's let's, let's get that out of the way. Just you know, you know, you know, Chris Brown. That that's why you know, that's why the whole shit with Chris Brown is not as you know all his bullshit. And Bobby Brown kind of did it thirty years ago already, so all his stuff, his little. Crazy shit that he does is, is not is is not that surprising to me. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, when I hear yeah, people still into Chris Brown, I just like you know, think they're like they're in a bad relationship they could easily get out of. Like there are so many other people you could be involved with, you know. You know, Raheem Devon still making songs. You know, Daniel Caesar, he's got some nice shit. You know, Khalid, The Weeknd, all those cats. You could. Why are you still uh, caping for this nigga who constantly looks like he's about to fix an alternator? He knows, or he knows how to fix an alternator. Just give him twenty dollars and a bottle of Thunderbird, and Chris Brown will fix your alternator. What else? Okay. Uh, oh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, and this has been pissing off a lot of uh, actors, and 
uh, James Dean, you know, the, 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 the actor who's dead, will appear in the forthcoming Vietnam-era action drama Finding Jack. Magic City Films, the production company behind the film, announced that it had obtained rights to use Dean's image from his estate and using CGI technology would, would include actual footage and photos of Dean in the movie. Anton Erst, who is co-directing the film, told The Hollywood Reporter they searched high and low for the perfect character to portray the role of Rogan, which has some extreme complex character arcs. And after months of research, we decided on James Dean. Martin Scorsese has been telling y'all. He's, he's been telling y'all this shit. He's saying like, hey, just... And y'all think y'all think he's all uh, you know being soft, it's, it's being sore and shit about Marvel movies making a lot of money. He keeps telling y'all this is this is what's happening. Just they're gonna make movies bereft of actual humanity and throw in a lot of CGI shit that and and and, and bringing characters back from the dead, which which I know sounds cute at first, but that shit is that like you be watching it, I'm like. Wait a minute, that nigga's dead. Why why is he back in a movie? I mean, there's so many other you're literally taking money out of a lot of actors' pockets when you literally bring back a, an actor from the dead. Oh man, tech you know, technology just you know it has it has its pluses and its minuses, and that's and that's one of them. By the way, just Listen, just just Martin Scorsese dropped the mic earlier this week when he said, "Listen, y'all, y'all like what you all want. Like, I'm just not in that shit." He just dropped the mic, and and y'all niggas keep catching it and and giving it back to him. He's we're done. Stop talking about Scorsese and shit. Just he's making his movies. Y'all make your movies, and what you know, you know that's everybody. Everybody's just making making movies. Just be happy with that shit. T.I. is facing backlash on social media for saying he goes to the gynecologist with his teenage daughter each year to check her hymen is still intact. The rapper's controversial comments were in response to a question about whether he's had the sex talk with his daughters, reports BuzzFeed News. In a Tuesday episode of the podcast, Ladies Like Us, yeah, I was speaking with host Nazanin, Mandy, and Nadia Moham about parenting. If I missed up your names, I'm sorry. When the question came up, the rapper who has six children brought up how he handles the discussion with his oldest daughter, 18-year-old Deja Harris. Not only have we had the conversation, we have yearly trips to the gynecologist, the checker hymen. T.I. said Yes, I go with her. Here's a good idea. Uh, why don't you keep that shit to yourself? Why? Why the? I'm pretty sure she doesn't want her business out in the street. You could have just said, "Hey, I'm a supportive father, and I'm always I'm there for her, even you know when you know she doing her personal feminine stuff." But uh, but no, you had to say, "I, I want to see her, make sure her hymen is okay." God damn it. Just 
I'm not even, I'm not going to go in depth about that shit. Like, why the hell? How the hell you want to know about your daughter's hymen? Really? Just remember the good old days when father would just say, "Yeah, talk about that shit with your mama." I ain't, I ain't even, I ain't even going to try. I don't want to know about that shit. You know, you do you. I know probably some dudes want to like, you know, put their fingers in it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know about it. Just. I want to know about your hymen. Oh, God damn it. Did he say they check to see if it's intact or just say, yo, I just want to make sure my, my daughter's hymen is healthy? Because, you know, shit, shit happens with the hymen. You know, you can, you know, break it on accident or something like that, do a split, and it's just all fucked up. It just, I don't want to. A man was arrested in Disney World in Florida on a Saturday after a park employee dressed as a Disney princess said he groped her breasts while posing for a photo. Brian Sherman, 51, was in the Magic Kingdom Park with his wife when they saw a Disney princess who police did not identify in their affidavit Sherman got very excited and said she was his favorite character, according to the affidavit. The Orlando couple posed for a photo sitting on either side of the character, allegedly leaving her physically stuck between them. Sherman allegedly put his arm around her and repeated how much he loved the character, then moved his hand lower to cup her bra. When a co-worker noticed the woman's uncomfortable body language, she intervened, suggesting the man to move into a different pose so he wouldn't be touching her breast. Instead, Sherman allegedly cupped the victim's right breast with his right forefinger and thumb with only the thin, skin-tight fabric. If, what the? If, am I just reading some Harlequin romance? Did this act? Well, I believe this had. Yeah, this happened. This, but it's just like it was just. Allegedly cupped and lifted her breast for three to four seconds and put his arm back around. Oh man, it's it's bad enough these Disney princesses got to deal with the kids and just all all the kids bullshit. But now I got pervy ass people going to Disney World and just first of all, if a guy rolls up to you and say you're my you know I you're my favorite character, just run. You grown ass. 51-year-old man or whatever talking about Disney princesses. The fuck is wrong with you, player? Just going to Disney And I've never got the whole Disney World alert. Believe it or not, I've never been to Disney World. Motherfuckers go to Disney World, you know, like they go you know, to their favorite bar. Just like, you know, after work, they got, you know, I just got to go to Disney World, man. Got to go to Disney World, you know, get me some premium bars or whatever and just got to ride Splash Mountain because that's apparently the, the mountain from Song of the South. I didn't know that until a couple weeks ago. Um, People, they, you, know, <laughs> you know, shout out to Scott Renshaw. I wrote a book about Disney World, but just, you know, <laughs> which is crazy because I'm, I'm starting to write for him. So this may be, this may limits, you know, this, this, this may do some bad things for my stuff. But, uh, uh, just yeah, I, no, no, no offense to Disney World or just the Disney. Well, just you know the Disney. I know Disney Plus is happening. 
and uh, a lot of people gonna go to Disney Plus. I don't know what to watch. Uh, Jeff Goldblum or whatever the fuck they got. So many goddamn streaming services now. Just remember back in the good days when we all watch watch shit on televisions. But uh, yo, just goddamn, just, just people go to Disney World and just fuck up. Remember that whole thing with the. <laughs> The whole family, the whole black, and it had to be a black family getting into a fight at goddamn Disney World. And, of course, it was caught on tape or, or video or whatever the hell. And just, at this point, you feel bad for all the employees now. Just like, oh, I got to, you know, you got to get, a, you know, steer steer away from the crazy kids. And the, the, the black family is looking to get into fights. And now the the pervy, creepy-ass men, which is like, dude, yeah. Hopefully, you know, people still see it as the happiest place on earth. I know Scott, you know, you know he, he still finds the happiest place on earth. And you know, I would I would like to continue writing film reviews for you, Scott. Just, you know, just no, no offense. But and if you see, and, and if you see, See Scott's book on, on online. Buy it and pick it up. Just Scott Ranchot, right? Anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, R.I.P. to John Witherspoon. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Keanu Reeves and Alexandra Grant just uh, blowing the internet up because they middle aged motherfuckers in love. Apparently that that is that is so weird for people. Then two goddamn grown ass people. They've known each other for years, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess we, I guess we love each other now. So, all right, and uh, yeah, I saw last Christmas, and um, it made me want to smoke angel dust. All right, uh, this is the uh, most persnickety podcast on the uh, interwebs. This is everything is canceled. Let's see if we can try to do this bullshit. Hey, hey, hey. Bitch, you better praise God or I'm a shooting that's on God. I ain't playing by my Lord and Savior. I'm on my job. If you ain't a Christian, I'm going to stab you in the face. If it ain't about Jesus, I'm going to hit you with this cake. Jesus is the one. Hell yeah, praise Jesus Christ, nigga. Free Palestine, free take cake. It's the trap game, Abraham Lincoln, four score and 16 bars ago. R.I.P. Betty White, she ain't dead before when she died, cause I know it's coming up. Oh, kitty, hey, little bitch, how you not gonna fuck on a real nigga? Yeah, I'm getting paid, still late on my bills, nigga. Yo, bitch, at my crib, I just let her charge the iPhone. Ask me if these diamonds, nah, bitch, these some rhinestones. Armpit musty. Reebok dusty, my show got canceled cause white folks don't trust me. Now I'm in the strip club with glue on the bottom of my shoe, nigga, that's how I'm do. Hey, I'm stealing money from these bitches. I'm hitting licks year round like it's Christmas. I got addictions. I take the condom off and drug my nut, it's delicious. I wanna get a whip and crash it in the white owned businesses. Hey, hey, nah, hold on, I got this hook. Hey, 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 hey. I'ma dip my balls into some thousand dollar dressing. Cause I got depression. I'ma avoid my taxes, then I'ma get arrested. Cause I got depression. I'ma rob my mama and I'ma spend the money on an old Chevy. Cause I got depression. Everybody know, nigga, you need to learn your fucking lesson. Nigga, I got depression. 
Shout out mental illness. <laughs> Shout out mental illness. Dude, if you got a mental illness, like, fucking turn up, dude. Like, seriously, dude. Like, whatever the fuck you got going on, dude, fucking, you're medicated, you're not medicated, dude. Like, seriously, fucking, bro, I put my fucking, I put my dick in a bag of Doritos and made this nigga bitch suck the dust off the tip.
Oh. Okay. All right. Uh, this is Everything is Canceled, a.k.a. Uncle Crizzle's Sad Place. And uh, let me tell you what you just listened to. Um, starting off at the top with um, Jesus is the One, which is, uh, I believe, my favorite gospel rap song of the year. No offense to Kanye. Uh, from uh, Zach Fox and Kenny Beats. Yeah, that's, that's a, I believe that's, a, that's what is known as a viral hit. And uh, yeah, I believe all the kids on TikTok love the hell out that. And uh, the hell is this? oh yeah. And um, after that was um, a track from um, Anna Wise's uh, new album, uh, which is uh, I believe it's called. Uh, the hell is it called? Is it? Uh, it I believe it's. I just had it a minute ago. Uh, as it were forever. Uh, yeah, that's as if it were forever. Okay, as as if it were forever. That's her long-awaited uh, album release, and that track is um, is it's a Vivre d'Amour et Dieu Frache. Just felt felt like. Uh, Pierre Escargot from all that, which is, I believe, translated is uh, Living on Love and Fresh Water. That is her and her uh, her boo, her baby daddy, John Bapp, um, collaborating on that. And uh, closing it out was uh, Robert Palmer, the late, great Robert Palmer, with I Didn't Mean to Turn You On from his 86 Riptide album, um, believe that was uh, produced by Bernard Edwards, which is a which was a that's actually a cover that was done by this uh, R&B artist named Sherelle, uh from my, her album, which was uh, produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So yeah, just people people yeah forget usually forget about. That. I just want to shout out Sherelle and uh, what she used to do during the eighties with Alexander O'Neill. That's another dude. Windy days. Windy days. I might play Saturday Love, and just let y'all know, just like just how good the '80s were musically and everything. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Written, written and produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So, uh, but uh, oh yeah, okay. But uh, once again, this is uh, everything is canceled. Craig D. Lindsay, aka Uncle Crystal, aka Black Larry David, aka. Anastasia Beaverhausen, a.k.a. just a scary Negro. And uh, if you want to contact me or hit me up or whatever, I'm on the uh, Twitter and the Facebook. I'm still on Facebook, Sally. Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and uh, Tumblr and I'm I'm on Pinterest. uh, At Uncle Crizzle, U-N-C-L-E-C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. If you want to uh donate and help me out with all this podcast stuff my uh i'm on my paypal.me slash uncle crizzle and uh let's see well i guess uh before we get into our guest um let me uh hit you with uh 
the sponsor once again. Still looking for sponsors, and that is our old friends at uh, WoodRocket.com. That's right, America's premier porn parody site. Pay me top dollar to tell you about the the fine parodies they do, like The Legends of Zildo, The Lego Movie, L Y A L A Y G O Movie, uh, Vencom, Dragon Boob Z, and just in time for the holiday season, Frosty the Snow Job. And uh, Wood Rocket also has an Etsy store where you can get such items as Wii pins, sex toy pins, posters, coloring books, and the April O'Neil Dick and Morty action figure. You can find all of that at woodrocket.com, the future of porn. Um, let's get into uh, let's get into our guest. Actually, I recorded this not too long ago. Uh, a few days ago, so let me just turn my mic down and get to that part of the show. Okay, uh, we're here with uh, today's guest. He is a uh, well-known uh, DJ in the Houston area. He is also a therapist, which uh, you, know, you know, never see that happen uh, on on most. With most DJs, they're also th- a lot of people who are DJs. You know, say they're doing therapy, but this is, like, I believe, an actual licensed therapist. Yes. Absolutely. So, um, Ethan Klein, welcome to Everything Is Canceled. Thank you so much, Craig. I really appreciate being here. It's been a minute. We haven't seen each other in quite a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was about to ask. Do you remember the uh, last time we uh, like saw each other physically? think was it for the houston press awards or was it it was a while ago i thought i thought it was like like when last time we saw each other was like um before i left for yes. raleigh yes I, uh, we bumped into each other at at sound waves okay okay like and 2003 I, right and i was doing the buying for sound waves yeah because uh, you you used to work over there. Yeah, yeah. I, well, son and I, Andre. Um, DJ son. Yes. Uh, he would do more of the kind of down-tempo mm-hmm. ordering, and I would do more of the house and the techno. Um, and it was more of a volunteer, but we'd, you know, get some discounts. And, um, you know, Soundwave was, was – this was when, you know, uh, Chemistry Records uh, kind of closed – they closed and atomic sound, music uh, atomic exactly and yeah. um and there wasn't a whole lot of house and techno um coming out of houston nowhere to buy your records and so andre kind of uh dj son you know i'd come on come in there and he'd do some buying and he was he's 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 such a, a busy guy uh i love him to death i played over at the flat recently um, with him and, uh, he's like, do you want to, can you help me with some of the ordering? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was a little bit more in charge of the, uh, house and, and techno. So, and that was the last time you and I ran into each other, huh? I, well, that's, that's why I remember most, I, 
I remember that one the most. Yeah. Uh, uh, most prominently, because I think like uh, yeah, I was about to leave to go to Raleigh to, to yeah. do that newspaper job, and uh, I think we started talking about the Roots' new album that was out. At oh, that's time. right. That was a great album. Yeah, it's great. Just album. Like yeah, it's, just, it's one of those things where it's just, you, you remember that because mainly how uh, you know how how uh, big or just like. Um, how much of a, of a of a part of that area Soundways was because yes. it was a very big music store, especially yes. that one on Montrose. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, as you said, they had the 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 house records. I mean, that's I know I knew that's where all the the DJs went to get their house records, and they had all these other stuff. And they had you know, and it's kind of been kind of disappointing over the years to see Soundways kind of dwindle because of all the. Yeah, screaming and everything, just sure. The window down to what it is because it's yeah. just like some, you know, I don't know if you've been there recently, but some of it is music and the rest of it is just like surf, surf clothes. I haven't been there in quite a long time. Um, you know, it, it sound waves was such a staple in the Montrose community, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was always, you know, it's kind of like Cactus Records. Um, and what you know, once all the kind of <clears throat> mom and pop uh, stores closed there was really nowhere else to go yeah. so it was kind of a community you know people would come in there and, and and buy records and it was kind of nice and that's you know it was yeah we'd run into each other in some interesting places and um and you always uh wrote Really great articles, and you're very, very kind in those articles. Well, so you were I one of the few it. who believe you felt that way. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, there's one of the reasons that I started to get very um, uh, disinf- uh, disillusioned, if you will, dis- right. from the whole thing is just like just hearing DJs and other people talk about, oh, you talk right about the, you know, the bullshit or the the junk and why aren't you writing about this and and uh you know the people who i was writing for you know at the uh when i did the the knife light column they didn't really understand just how much of a of a of a, of a grind or a, just sure. how much it could weigh on you and so yeah so when they fired me i felt like they get they did me a huge favor because if they didn't i wouldn't have Gone. Moved on and just because, yeah. You're an honest writer. That was the one thing that I liked about you. I mean, well, that was the you're thing honest. a lot of people didn't like about me. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the honesty. And, and you know, there, there's some opinions, and okay, we all have we all have a mind. Yeah. <laughs> so. But uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, I remember like the first time I got wind of you uh-huh. because I think I don't know where I picked it up from. Maybe it been Club, maybe it been Soundways because I used to. That's where I would find my um, my my leads and everything. Uh, flyers and flyers, and uh-huh. of course. And uh, I remember there was this one flyer that uh, I think it was just like see through. It made a cellophane uh, promoting a night called uh, what was it called Metro? It was like a long like like two thousand two thousand one. Was it the Orbit Room? I I I, I don't know. It was the Orbit Room or was that uh, that that I think it was that one. Pl- that down t- downstairs place was it the cave or just oh gosh um, power tools power tools yeah that's yes. what it was yeah 
and I think you were doing that night. Okay, I was probably playing. Uh-huh. Yeah, just I just like the um, the flyer. Oh, it was a see-through flyer. Yeah. Oh gosh, I forgot the name of that party. Oh, that I think it was called Metro. <laughs> was it? <laughs> was it Metro? Is a see-through flyer? Yeah. Because there, we we were very creative with some of our flyers because. You know, you wanted to stand out, but some of the yeah. flyers then you ended up not being able to read. <laughs> you know, and I don't remember if were you able to read that flyer? Yeah, because it was like, it was black uh, lettering. And stuff. Okay, okay. Oh, you know, I think it might have been. Do you remember who the headliner was, or was it all locals? Or I think it was a weekly. It was a weekly. Weekly. Yeah. I okay. I don't remember that. I don't think they were the one in Power Tools. Uh, they would they would do parties there, and then I, I don't remember a weekly there. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done a couple of shows in my life. <laughs> yeah, you've done many shows. Let's and let's talk about that. How yeah. did the uh, whole DJ thing start for you? Ooh. So, you know, it, there was I grew I I grew up. Um, my mom and dad, th- there was always music in the house. I mean, always. And it was everything from Julio Iglesias to Stevie Wonder to Credence Clearwater to the Beatles. And so my mom's side of the family is Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. My dad's side of the family is Israeli. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mix. <laughs> so I'm a Puerto Rican Jew, you know. Oh, okay. So nice little. And um, they... There was just every, you know, even African, you know, Awatunji, who was a kind of a percussion album, which was just a, I loved that, that album. I remember playing it a lot. And I would go through their stuff and play, play the music. And I always wanted to make the, I always liked do, making these mixtapes <clears throat> for my friends and for me so I could listen to them. And like I said, it would just have a little bit of everything. And I don't know how this happened, but I think uh, I was probably 13 or 14. And I remember asking, I might have been at a Radio Shack, <clears throat> but I remember asking uh, my parents for, like, my, for Christmas or birthday, you know, I want a mixer, you know, and then I can, I can make these tapes, you know, sound better and I can mix a tape recorder with a with a with a record player and you know make them for me and and you know didn't know anything about beat matching didn't know any, I just I wanted to just put it together and uh, and that's how it kind of started then I th- when I was in um, middle school I think I learned about BPMs, and that's when I. But during that time, I was really listening to the radio, but really late at night on Fridays and Saturdays uh, for Club Sixty Four Hundred. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Playing. And it was a lot of the kind of industrial and synth pop um, type type of stuff. And oh God, I'd record every single Friday and Saturday night, and I I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it was very different. And it was, um, yeah. And after that, I it, it it was very addicting for me. Um, 
And once I I got, I would say like 14 or 15, I had friends that were a little bit older, and they, they had a car. So we'd drive into Montrose into either Record Rack or New Beat Records. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'd save my, save my money. I always worked. I always had one or two jobs, mowing lawns or doing something like that. And I would, you know, I'd go into the stores and I'd play the song that I heard, you know, on tape to the, to whoever was working uh, at New Beat or Record Rack. And they'd be like, oh yeah, this one, this one, this one. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it started. So, just that, when did it start becoming, because I, I was wondering, just like, was it a full-time thing for you? Was it part-time doing? Uh, no, I've, I gave it full-time attention. I always, um, but I always had, uh, like I said, I've always, I've always worked. I've always had two jobs, one way or another. Uh, the first time, uh, the first time, you know, I would do house parties, you know, when I was 15. And then, you know, obviously I'm still in high school. Uh, and then, you go to high school. So, oh, I went to, originally I went to a place called Northbrook. Oh, yeah. uh, do you know where that is? Nah. Nah, it's I 10 West, but in spring, it's in Spring Branch, but it's Hamley and Gessner. Not exactly the the best neighborhood, and it started. There were a few, there were about two or three gang fights a week, and my parents are like, and that's the neighborhood I grew up in. And so eventually, we, my parents moved when I was uh, about sixteen years old, fifteen or sixteen, my sophomore year, to Stratford High School, which is um, I ten and um, I ten and like. Uh, Derry Ashford Memorial Memorial area and it was very interesting because I grew up in a very multicultural environment and my mom you know my mom would ask you know how are you liking the new school I'm like well there's something different about it and I didn't quite know what it was and I realized everybody was freaking white and <laughs> I mean everybody and uh you know I came from a very you know Northbrook was a, like I said very multicultural and my neighborhood was very multicultural um, so it, it, that, that was quite an adjustment. Um, so we would go into, so my very first like club gig, I was 19 years old. Um, I don't know if you remember Joseph Tran Van. Oh yeah. You yeah. Remember, like, yeah he, we, JT. Yeah. We used to talk, um, he's he told, he told me a lot of interesting stories about the nightclub scene. <laughs> he's... You know, and they're probably all true. <laughs> he, it was a, the, the way that was an interesting story because we were both at community college, at Houston Community College, and um, I didn't know him. And I was eating my lunch kind of off by myself, and he was with some of his friends. And I heard him saying, sh "You know, shit, my my DJ's out of town this weekend for Friday, and I don't have anybody that can fill in." And I'm behind him. I'm hearing this. I'm like. I can play, and he's, I will never forget his face. He turns around, because you know how he can 
kind of get that weird look, that kind of angry look. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, he can get. He, he can be intense. Yeah, he can be intense. That, that's a good word. Turns out, he turns around. And he's like, "Who the fuck are you?" I'm like, "Hey, look, you don't have a DJ. If if I screw up, you don't have to book me again. But you know, what, what do you have to lose?" He's like, "Okay." And I think he was working at Dream Merchant at the time. Yeah, he was working at Dream Merchant. And um, I remember how, oh my gosh, I can't even remember how nervous I was. It was so bad. Uh, we, it just so happened that night, just so happened that they got the most that they got. And uh, it was, <laughs> the place was called uh, Chameleon. It's where, um, now it's where El Big Bad is, but before that it was Cabo. Oh, yeah. And, so and it was, it was Cabo, uh, in uh, down Shepherd's or no downtown? Oh, downtown. Yeah, the, it's a two-story building, and on the, it was on the top. It was the um, was Chameleon, and during the week it was a black gay club, and on Fridays and Saturdays, um, Joseph was in charge of promotions, mm -hmm. and the DJ was Mikey Pratt, who obviously everybody knows. It's a he's a Houston staple. And he was doing, um, I think he was working on his album with Incision up in Chicago, and he just happened to be out of town. And I filled in. And it just, it had nothing to do with me, I promise. Just so happened that it was a good night, and they gave me a Friday night. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of it. That was probably, that was 92. So I graduated high school in 92, so probably 92, 93. As I was looking back at, um, I believe, like the first time that I started writing about you, uh -huh. and uh, <laughs> it's right because I believe it, like the, the first mention mm -hmm. uh, was uh, when I wrote about because uh, you mentioned the or Orbit Room earlier, correct? And uh, you, you did this thing called a, a home base Xmas, <laughs> like yes. nineteen ninety nine. So you were already in there for like a few years. Oh, I was in there for yes. Yeah. That was with um, so. We were, I think around that time is when when there was a stop in kind of the rave community. When the, you know, Joe Biden's like, we're going to put people that throw raves into jail. And there wasn't a, uh, uh, they were, they were making it a, a kind of like a crack house law. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, it was ridiculous. And. Uh, so we started moving things into the clubs, and it, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I just put this together. This was um, a place called the Orbit Room, which used to be the Axiom. Oh yeah, the uh, the punk place. Punk place, yeah, the punk rock place. Yeah, I just I actually just got through talking to uh, Ben DeSoto about all that. You know, Ben DeSoto, he's a mm -hmm. photographer for the. Uh, he used to um, where he used to work for Houston Chronicle, and okay. he would go to the axiom and the island oh, and all nice. different places and yeah. uh you know take uh, take photos of the punk shows that are happening over there I, I was i was a little too scared to go there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie so but i mean but I, i'd go to i mean i'd go see punk shows at different different places like the uh, oven the oven well the oven uh, we would do show. We would do Tuesday nights there. That's where like new, new up and coming DJs would be. And then the oven. Yeah, every once in a while I'd go into the oven. Uh, where else would I go? Uh, Unicorn. 
or the abyss um was uh was a cool i'd see uh like afghan wigs and stuff like that i i i love music so it can be a little bit of you know dinosaur jr and at that time so at the time the you know orbit room needed to be or everything started moving into clubs and the 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 group of people that i was working with um that <laughs> I hate saying this, saying it now because I'm so much older, but it was called Scooby Doo Crew. Oh, yeah, SDC. Exactly. <laughs> and that was supposed to be more of a joke, and it just kind of expanded into something bigger. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we, you know, we're like, okay, well, we'll start taking it to a club. And somehow the old axiom turned into a black gay club called Incognito. Mm-hmm. And we would do their Fridays and Saturday nights there. And that's when we started uh, throwing really amazing events. We'd bring in DJs. Some, I mean, what was cool, and, and you know, Kelly, Kelly, who was kind of the... Kelly McCann? Yeah. Was kind of, I, I would say he was kind of the brains behind a lot of it. He, he smart guy. Such a smart guy. Um. He he really pushed for um, a lot of the the urban and wanted to keep it you know so we'd have we'd have house and techno in the main room and then we'd we'd bring in bring in hip hop artists or hip hop DJs um, for you know for the outside for the patio and so you'd bring in you'd bring in such a, a really interesting culture. To the events, you know, we'd have Latirix come in. We'd have Cut Chemist, you know, Z Trip, uh, Bomb Shelter, um, you know, Newmark from Jurassic Five. Yeah. I mean, just some really talented DJ Quest, um, and it, it, but it brought just that kind of underground community together in a really. Um, in a really nice space, nice intimate space, yeah. So it was yeah. cool. Well, yeah, you're talking about this now. Just like I, I was thinking about because um, I remember that there was an event that uh, used to happen over at a uh, club upscale. Yeah, community. Oh, community, yeah. Which I, which I found quite interesting. Cause it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was just like this, this area, this. Is this club? I don't, I, to this day, I don't even know if it was a club, but it was just yeah. like it was just like these different parts of mm-hmm. the area because it's just like this. You would go into one room and they would be having this stuff in this room. Yeah, and you were I, you were one of DJs, I believe that was like a different crew of DJs going. Well, no, room. that was still SDC. Oh, uh, yeah. And what we did was we got uh, C plus um, Eric C. Yeah. Uh, well, C plus. Uh, to kind of handle the back room. And we brought in like DJ Swamp, who was, you know, Beck's DJ. And we'd bring in still, whether it was a drum and bass DJ or, or a hip hop DJ, we, we'd bring them in. And, but this was more of a, a it was a Thursday night. And this was, was an even more intimate setting. Yeah. And we'd bring in some great house DJs that wanted to play for a, and this was strictly house. This was a, a very house, deep house you know, Chicago style house, um, uh, Thursday night. And that, that was a lot of fun. That was, yeah. I remember I, you say anime, I enjoyed it. Cause like you just go somewhere and sit down. Yeah. 
you could sit, you could dance, you could listen. I mean, it was, it was just a, and it was in an office building. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing I remember because it was. Yeah. On the yeah. Southwest Freeway. Yeah, yeah guys, be, I'd be wandering around and it's like, <laughs> this is where people work. Yeah. Like, this is, doing a club night where people work and it's like, people don't, be, it's, this is okay? But yeah. The, it, was a, it was called uh, Club Upscale and um, I don't know where Kelly got these these venues. I am not kidding. Yeah. It was a real, it was really cool. I mean, I remember that because um, I actually did an article about that because I yes. enjoyed it and I was about it, but I was talking because it was about to shut down. Right. It was, and there right. was another night that was shut down. Trip in the Love. Yeah, Trip in the Love. Yeah, with Albert, B, uh, DJ Biz, and Tattoo Dan. Yeah, the, those were like these were two these two house nights. Basically. Yeah, they house residencies. Yeah, and they were going. So. Yeah, theirs was on Wednesday, and um, and ours was on Thursday. They they it was still what was interesting about it was they they. Within the community, we were very um, helpful to each other. You know, they, they, yes, they were playing house and then they had a drum and bass room. Theirs was a little bit more on the funkier side, a little bit more on the jacking side. Ours was a little bit more on the deeper side. Yeah. And, and on occasions, they would have uh, wet t shirts. <laughs> I, I they, that too. Like all of a sudden, they'd be just wet t shirt. Uh, you know, they, they, it was about fun. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. That, that's, that's the kind of nice thing about bringing it to the, yeah, they would, <laughs> about bringing it to a smaller place. Yeah. Um, I, it wasn't, they weren't trying to be gimmicky. They were just, they were having fun, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, we're all a little perverted on, perverted on the inside, aren't we? Well, of course, but yeah. <laughs> all of us roll, but, you know, just like, we got to keep that down now. It's like, uh, yeah. me too. And everything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just like enjoyed those nights and just, yeah. And just kind of think, I kind of think uh, back to, you know, because just, just, just for you and just how much of it uh, you were a part of uh, just back then, because it's like the early aughts and this was, um, was it was it a big time for you as a DJ playing? I mean, we we should also establish just like what is basically uh, what kind of music do you play when it comes to uh, DJ and everything? You know, I I break it down into because there's so, so many sub genres. Yeah. Oh. 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 Man. <laughs> I, that was always a problem with me. <laughs> yeah. I would say, "Oh, hey, this is house. This is this is acid house. <laughs> this is soul for I don't. Play. It's it's, it's house. house. Yeah, DJs would just. Would, that was another thing. <sighs> just like just we're playing this kind of house. And right. Like, dude, fuck off. I'm just trying to. <laughs> exactly. So I, I always my you know my influences were always Detroit and Chicago. Of course. Yeah. And and. The elements that I am looking for in the tracks that I choose and even produce or used to produce had to have that. Mm-hmm. And so that's house and that's techno. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to get into the, I, I, I don't care about subgenres. I, I just, to me, as long as it sounds good, mm-hmm. as long as it has the elements that, that bring out a soul that, that, um, you know, because even, you know, the minimal stuff can have soul. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it, it's got to be a little funky. Yeah. It's got to be have some depth to it. 
Um, but oh, all in all, you know, house and techno. Yeah. Just flat house and techno. Yeah. I, I really had to be on my game. <laughs> There's so That was the craziest. Like, yeah, to, like, I had to start reading, like, Beast Mag and Jockey Slut in those, <laughs> those magazines just to see who the fuck, what type of. You know, it's not jungle, it's drum and bass or whatever. It is. And I, I still don't even know the difference between yeah. jungle and drum and bass. I know I'm going to get it from a lot of my friends for yeah. saying that. But it's not, you know, it, it, music is so subjective. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's constantly evolving, which that's that's why I came back, because I was out for 10 years. Yeah, well. Well, let's let's talk about that. Just okay. like, cause, all right, I, I didn't know exactly. I just knew. I think one day he hit me up on Facebook and say, "Hey, I'm a therapist now." <laughs> like, yeah. So, how did that happen when you transitioned from DJ to therapy? <sighs> well, I was always doing both. I was I was actually um, I got my undergrad in uh, psychology, and I well, so right, where did you get it from? So I, I finished at University of Houston. Okay. Uh, after I graduated high school, I wasn't. I, I just didn't make very good grades. I didn't um, do very well on the SAT, and I knew that I was just going to go into community college, bust my butt so I can get into a decent school. And um, I, I moved to Arizona in uh, let's see, 90, from ninety four to ninety six. And that's where I started to really learn about the scene because I was hanging out, excuse me, um, with a guy named DJ Emil, uh, who's part of Bomb Shelter, who is, it, at one point, it was Emil, uh, DJ Radar, and Z-Trip. Oh. Wow. And it was um, that those three and six turntables. And it was the coolest thing. Like, and it was all improv. It was super cool. And Emil had this very charismatic <laughs> way of talking. And him and I just kind of became friends. And he kind of introduced me in, to different parts of the scene that I, I never really and never really knew about in Houston. Houston was very young compared to everything else. Oh, yeah. We're so behind on a lot of things. And going yeah, off that, to... Yeah, that's... That's a common thing. Yeah. Not even music. Just like, and you tell people, like, yeah, this is, you know, we're, yeah. we're behind on stuff and nobody I mean, wants to hear about it. Oh, gosh. You'd go into a club and you'll still, you'd still be hearing 80s music, you know, in the, the late 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, come on. Like, there's house music now. I mean, there, so when, so I, I I went to school and basically because of out of state tuition I came back to Houston finished my degree at U of H but while I was doing that is when I got approached by Kelly and Mark um, and Dan um, and we kind of formed you know Scooby Doo Crew as a joke I, I think it was a joke I have I mean we had a meeting I'll never at Julian Ritchie's do you do you know Julian Ritchie he was a bartender at um, at emos and he he's kind of like a joseph tran van everybody kind of knew who he was yeah. and um and we all like hey let's you know start throwing you know raves i hate using that word but and we uh while so while i'm doing that 
I'm still in school. I'm still finishing school. And I became a, a school teacher for kindergarten, first grade. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and then I decided to go back uh, because I, I, I loved working with the kids. I just didn't like the administrative work. I so, thought you were gonna say the parents. <laughs> I liked work. No, I actually enjoyed that. I, oh. I, I because I worked with um, emo- emotionally disturbed kids, okay. and um, I really liked the psychology behind it. And um, and so, you know, I did that for six years, and I went back to school to get a master's in uh, in social work, clinical social work, mm-hmm. uh, from University of Houston. And while I'm doing that, that's when I actually started, kind of. Uh, I put out a record, um, and I actually, you know, started playing events outside of Houston, outside of Texas. Played, you know, uh, you know, Spun Day in San Francisco twice, and and Nikita in San Francisco. Um, you know, I played in Columbus. Well, well, can we we talk about how 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 different is? San Ooh. Fran here from Houston because you know San Fran is to me is like one of those places like it's, that's where I mean it, I believe Home Records is down there Home and, Records and all that yeah so. you know man it <laughs> it is such a different culture yeah. it it you walk into any when I mean, you you walk into a burrito you know shop or a restaurant <laughs> that just serve you know vegan burritos and you've got a DJ in the corner. You know, I mean, and, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon, it was, it was great. You would hear house music and down tempo, um, you know, acid jazz, jazz. I mean, it was just a very, they're very much ahead of things, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And, you know, the minute people would walk in and hear, you know, a 4-4 beat, they were dancing. I mean, it didn't matter if it was 9 p.m., or twelve, yeah. they were dancing, and I, 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 I will never forget. I had a, um, I booked a couple of shows in San Francisco, and I came out, and I, I, I met through a couple of my friends, uh, who the guy that was um, doing the Spun Day bookings, and I said, "Hey, look, I'm already in town. You know, do you have an opening slot?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, come play." And it was, um, it was, it just so happened to be um, Martin Luther King weekend, and at that time, nobody had work on Mondays, yeah. so by nine o'clock there was already a line, and I'm like, okay, and it was, the, oh, it was a great show. It was um, Donald Glaude oh. and uh, Barry Weaver, and I opened, and. I played from nine to eleven thirty, and by nine fifteen it was packed, mm-hmm. and I was and they were dancing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm playing like really deep. I'm opening for Donald Glaude and you know Barry Weaver. Her, you know, they can bang it out, yeah. and um, I was playing really nice kind of Glenn Underground, Boo Williams, very kind of um, jazzy house, mm-hmm. and they were loving it. And I was it was slowed down, but I'm just like, oh my. So I just tried to go as far. I pushed it. Like, I wanted to push the boundaries as much as I could. And they, it's impossible to clear a floor there almost. 
I mean, they're just so they're open. Yeah, it's 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 very different. It's funny you talk about this because you you're saying like I'm pushing it, but it's almost like are you saying that uh, there have been places maybe here in Houston where you try to push it and it's just like nah, nah, fell flat. No, no, we ain't doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of of course. Um, I've also when I I I always try to push, Mm -hmm. I in one form or another. And there there are places in Houston where I wish I could get away with things. And ironically, some of the places that I thought I wouldn't be able to, I was able to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you were out of town. I think this is when you were in Raleigh. I was playing. This was. Where I kind of I was doing a, a place called Red Door, mm-hmm. which was kind of this ultra lounge, you know, in Midtown, where it was trying to starting to get real frou frou. And um, but the thing is, it was it it was a uh, I would say twenty six to forty year olds. It was a little bit older, okay. and. I was able to get away with a lot more stuff there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, because the owners couldn't get to me because it was so crowded. Yeah. So I just, you know, throw in a track, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and I was able to play, you know, some very, you know, and I wasn't, I'd play nothing commercial. Mm-hmm. So it was all, you know, house mm-hmm. and techno. Yeah. Um, and, and with some 80s and some funk, mm-hmm. which was fun. I yeah. thought that was fun. I mean, to me, a real, a, a good DJ actually is able to, play everything yeah so um yeah so wait, are you saying you're not a good dj because you play oh i play no i'll play everything if it, if i mean i my my i like to throw in curveballs yeah so i'll throw in you know rick james or i'll throw in a michael jackson i have no problem doing that or i'll throw in an earth wind and fire but not the cheesy earth wind and fire the no not wait, the disco wait, what stuff you, what would you count as the cheesy earth wind and fire oh Shining Star and ah fuck you man. <laughs> Good I'm, song, just, I'm not into disco. I I can't stand disco. I really wait. I, you don't. Yeah, you, know, you can't. Like, hey, there are a lot. Of, you know, of course, there'll be a lot of people around here that uh-huh. like. You know, as, as a Norman J fan, I really oh. find. You, know, you find there's some things in disco that that works and stuff. There's some elements of disco that I love, but I I just I cannot. You know, ring my bell. I just I can't. I can't do it. I will, I love funk. I was at, uh, while I was getting ready. I was listening to um, Earth, Wind, and Fire's first album. Um, was it Need uh, Need a Love? Is that? It's from 1971. Oh, really? Oh, down deep. Yeah. And it's oh, the intro. the The first song, Energy, is just such a great. Yeah. Like if you get a chance to check it out, it's such a good song. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like. Throwing, I mean, I'll play a Depeche Mode track in the middle of a techno set. Uh-huh. So I, I think that that makes it interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, well, let's get into like, is it you know you started doing the therapy thing? When did that yes. start happening? So after I, uh, I'm, I decided, okay, I'm gonna go, <clears throat> I'm gonna go do. Uh, do my master's and I knew I wanted to be a psychotherapist in private practice. Um, the graduate college of social work in Houston, they, you know, they didn't look down upon that, but they, they wanted you to work in the nonprofit. They wanted you to, you know, be a, a bleeding heart 
which, you know, I am, but I also want to, I want to get paid, you know, yeah, the American way. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, so I, I, my intention was to do that. And, uh, I got a really good internship with, uh, Baylor psychiatry and, um, Baylor Adolescent Clinic and worked with some really amazing um, therapists. And then after that, my first job, I knew I wanted, so like I said, I'm Jewish. And I, I never really felt like I, I was connected to my roots. My, and I wanted to work for a Jewish Family Service mm. as a therapist. Yeah. I'm just kind of, I, I wanted to know my culture a little bit better. You know, from and my parents taught me my culture, and uh, so I worked there for six years uh, for a nonprofit. And as I was doing that, um, I went and started working towards getting uh, my uh, private practice, and started building it up. And I, I've been in full time private practice. Um, I would say eight years now. Eight years. Yeah, about eight years. Now, okay, you've been doing it for eight years. I, I'm trying to get here. Uh, were you doing it um, as you were still performing, or you decided to? Because I know you've been doing some stuff recently. So. Right. So, um, while I was in, I I started to slow down, probably about ten years ago. I stopped. I pretty much stopped nine or ten years ago after Red Door kind of um, closed its doors. Um, I, I was just tired because I was playing twice a week. Um, I was exhausted. I had no life other than DJing and going to school and doing my internship, um, and working and it was exhausting. I was, I was kind of burned out. Um, and to be honest, I think the biggest thing for me was the technology aspect because I was still playing vinyl 10 years ago. And now everything has kind of moved a little bit more more digital. I just got really f- frustrated with it. Yeah, I, I remember like yeah, because back in the day it was all like a lot, lot you know, bringing the records in. Yeah, the, and I think like around you know the mid to late aughts, that's when Serato showed up. Exactly. And everything started started going digital. People doing a laptop thing. So right, and and it was laptop or CDJs. Yeah, and I, I just didn't know which one to invest in. You know, and, and it kind of frustrated me because I'm not very technology, technologically sound. I mean, <laughs> minded. I'm very much. You You're know. a luddite. I'm sorry. A luddite. What is that? Kind of like an old school. Uh, kind of, not because I want to be. <laughs> yeah. I just can't. I just. It's very hard for me to like. And so when I was coming back, I'm like, okay, you. One of you've got to sit with me and show me record box and show me what this you know what this is you know because i didn't really i didn't quite understand it um and now i'm getting a little better i'm understanding it a little bit better now <laughs> so well, well i mean let's talk about that what made you what made you want to get back in the game was it the were you getting the itch i was sure um i when i stopped i I kind of, I really stopped. I mean, I put the brakes on. I I just I didn't I really didn't want anything to do with it for a good five years. Um, I I don't think I listened to a 
a house record in that time. Maybe, you know, every once in a while. I might have, but it was rare. Yeah. And then I started kind of going on Beatport, which is, you know, where you buy uh, vinyl, not vinyl, I'm sorry, the, the MP3s. Yeah. I'm just kind of clicking and listening. I'm like, there's some really good stuff out. And it was progressively getting better and better. And during that time, also, there was kind of a peak with technology. Mm-hmm. So not everybody was doing... People were either doing Serato or they were doing CDJs. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay. So I started going more towards the CDJs. <clears throat> and But the music, it, it was saturated. But there was a lot of good things to choose from. And I think I just started kind of I'm like, this is good. Like it, it, it's, it, it was different. It was fresh. Um, it was musical, yeah. you know, it, 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 it was, and I'm talking across the board. Well, across the board for house and across the board for techno. I didn't go off into the, Oh, let me see what trance sounds like now. I'm like, no. Um, so, uh, and, I, I, and it started kind of giving, I, I started getting excited. And so I, I started going to shows here and there. <clears throat> and I went to a show at The Dive. Have you? I'm, I'm, I don't think I know that. But it's, um, it's a really cool space that's owned by uh, Siraj, who, who used to go by SDF3. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a familiar name. Yes, uh, in the drum and bass area. <clears throat> and so he's one of the owners of this place. And I was talking. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting an itch to, to play again. And uh, he's like, I'd love for you to do it here. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, 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 I'll talk about it. And then I got a... <laughs> I'll get a, so this is in June, March, April, May, like May, June, May maybe of this, you know, not too long ago. And uh, I get a, a a text from Brad Slack, who's kind of head of Pern Lion, the drum and bass, the, the oldest running drum and bass in Houston. He's like, so I hear you're coming out. You should deal with Siraj. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see. Wait. Didn't uh, SDF three? Didn't he used to run uh, chemistry? Uh, no, <clears throat> he would. What did he? He used to do. He so there are two drum and bass crews in Houston. Yeah. Two main ones. Yeah. Main ones. Um, Protoculture, mm-hmm. and that's SDF three, yeah. and then um, Per and Lion, yeah. and that was Brad Slack and and Ryan, yeah. a, a DVS one, and. Um, I, 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 man, I think he might have run, did the buying for drum and bass at Atomic. Maybe, maybe I'm not sure, but he was in the stores. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in the stores. I'm sure. Because like the the more we talk, the more I'm like, yeah, I, I remember that motherfucker. Where is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He used to do this and all that. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Now he's. I, I think he's doing more dubstep type of stuff and dubstep parties but this it's it's a really cool like super warehousey feel um you know real cement and minimal and just this incredible sound system 
and you walk in and it's got, you know, a bar where you can actually talk to your friends and, yeah. and then, but once you get into the, to the, like the, the dance floor, you're engulfed yeah. <clears throat> and it is such a great venue. It's it's a very simple. It's very kind of a a pure warehousey feel. Yeah. Um, it almost I don't know if you ever went if you stayed up past two. Did you ever go to Club Sum a long time ago? Probably. Probably. <laughs> it's all a blur. Yeah. It really was. <laughs> so that, you, and then those are the you know then there are those clubs that just wouldn't let me in and I would. Uh, <laughs> I was wearing sneakers or whatever, just, no. or they just didn't want to talk to me because they were yeah. uh, part of an international ecstasy ring. <laughs> right? No, it was. This was an after-hours club right next to Emos, and um, they'd let anybody in. I mean, it was, was a couple of one. Didn't used to go for like three, four o'clock. In the oh no, long. Oh. It would go till seven, oh, okay. seven a.m., wow. eight, just depending on. Those were some fun nights. Yeah. Those were, um, and it was, it, but it was very much the the focus was the sound system and the music, <clears throat> and that's what this venue venue is. Um, so, um, my good friend who live now lives in Austin, Daniel Allen, and he's actually doing very very well. He uh, he's somebody I've known for about twenty five years, I would say. He messaged me and said, "Hey, let's do this." That's what we did. So, we've thrown two two shows uh, called On and On, mm-hmm. um, kind of giving an homage to the uh, first house record ever uh, produced by Jesse Saunders out of Chicago, uh, okay. yeah. and kind of, you know, respecting the future as well and wanting to move on and on mm-hmm. in the future. So it has it, play, it has kind of a double meaning, and it, it, um, you know, and being able to move forward through whatever we we kind of do, and um, we, I I want to keep it local, and I think he does too. Our our, our we want to keep it simple, and it, it be just about the music, and you know, play play what we want. Yeah, you know, so we'll see what happens. It's. Yeah. It's slow. It's a process. I got to say, um, it's great uh, having you here to talk about what you're doing and talking about Thank the you. old days and everything. But I got to say, uh, one reason I have you here is I, I, there, there is an ulterior motive Uh-oh. as to why you're here. <laughs> okay. Because um, I don't know if you've been paying attention to me a lot on social media, but uh, I, 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 I have a lot of problems i've been going through things especially moving back here to houston right and uh, i've been trying to get uh help talking to certain people but uh yeah you know, just you know kind of having uh to deal with counselors and everything and they're, right. they're always harrying on the go with and, oh. and is trying to talk to somebody who not only knows what they're talking about, but just somebody I could just 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 talk, just talk to about certain things that I have and just sure. And since you you know you have a therapy practice, I was just wondering, just like if this would take a brief time to and see if I can get a free session out of this. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, <you> know, <laughs> well, I mean, 
Well, what do you mean in a free session? Well, so just talk. Well, well, I don't know if you want to charge me anything. No, Venmo. God. I, you know, I got everything on the app, <laughs> PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, but um, just t- just talking about certain things like this, for example, because I've I've been worrying about uh, doing this uh, again, sure, a podcast because I have often have trouble uh, talking to people. I don't know if it's so much anxiety or just I feel that. Nobody cares what I have to say, mm. and uh, just because I don't know if, about you, but it's, I often get the sense, especially here in Houston, sure, that people just want to talk; they don't want to listen. Yeah, and so I get this overwhelming sense whenever I speak to people, or just whenever I speak on here, just like, what's the point of talking at all about anything since nobody really cares? To be honest with you, the only reason. I've been talking to you this long is because I've been drinking. And, uh, oh. <laughs> and, How many drinks? Of, and I'm upset that you didn't share a drink with me. I got, but you had water and I didn't know if you wanted, I got, I got, I got stuff here. I got <laughs> beer. There's beer in the fridge. There's beer here. I'm upset you didn't offer me one crack. But, uh, just, so, I, but you know, I thought you were like being healthy and everything like that. Eh. You got that, that soccer thing on. Yeah. I had a game this morning. Oh, you had a game this morning. Yeah. Too. So, but, uh, but yeah, just I just have trouble communicating with people. Right. I don't know if it's anxi- like I said, I don't know if it's anxiety or just, you know, especially trying to find things to talk talk about. Like, I don't know if you've listened to this show. I've listened. I listened to a little bit of the last pod. I think the last podcast where you said, "I guess I'm back." Yeah. Yeah. And that was the free yeah, first one. And just uh, just trying to, to to give a shit about things that are happening in the world. Yeah. Trying things, and you just you know I'm I don't know how old you are, but I've I've gotten to that point where I'm just like eh, I don't give a fuck about a lot. <laughs> you know, you you make a really really great point. Yeah. Not a whole lot of people want to listen. And. I think that is one of the issues with things in general. Yeah. There's we, we live in a society that's very symptom driven, quick answers, solution focused rather than getting to the to the root of things, understanding why. Yeah. You know, and the the way that I do my therapy. So I got my master's in clinical social work, and then I did two more years of something called psychoanalytic psychotherapy. So it's kind of neo-Freudian. And it's really kind of understanding... uh, It's it's understanding yourself a little bit deeper than just what's the symptom and let's fix it. This is going deeper, understanding what's truly going on internally. And understanding that we are a product of our relationships, especially the first relationships that we've ever had, mm-hmm. which are mom and dad. As cliched as that sounds, mm-hmm. there is truth to that. And so, you know, I'm not going to... If we never felt listened, if we never felt like we were heard, mm-hmm. how do you imagine that's going to translate into 
our current state. Yeah. You know? So understanding that, understanding that we are you know, a product of our, of our family, of our surroundings, which is, you know, sometimes kind of tough. Yeah. You know, we, not everybody, you know, I, I, you know, I am blessed. My parents have been married almost 50 years. They go country dancing almost every weekend. Um, they travel they're, they're They've supported me with music, with my music and whatever I kind of wanted to do. And I felt heard, you know, by them. I felt that they wanted to do what was best for me. Um, so I feel very, like I said, very lucky to have parents like that. And so I don't know. I mean, I, so, you know, I can't tell you, you know, if you think this way, Craig, <laughs> I can, you know, if that was the case, then Tony Robbins, is that his name? I don't have no, yeah, I mean, it, he'd be the, that that stuff doesn't work, you know, yeah. just, you know, just think differently. Yeah, that's that's always the thing, like, just, no, just do it. Do this whole new thing that no. you're, that you're, you're not really psychologically conditioned to do. Exactly. So, so what I tell people is, look, you're 45 years old. You've been doing something for 45 years. Yeah. For me to just come in and fucking say, hey, um, this is what you need to do. Just change it. Yeah. First of all, how insensitive is that? Mm-hmm. How unempathetic? We have to understand that we've been doing something for 45 years. And it's just not going to change overnight. Yeah. So the process of therapy, that's why therapy and the studies have shown that long-term psychotherapy is more effective than short-term quick fix in the long run. In other words, you will continue to benefit from the therapy the longer you are in therapy. There's no quick fix. You know, I wish, I, I, I really genuinely wish there was a pill that would just make it all go away, but there's not. It's tough. You have to, you have to commit to it. Yeah. You know, I, I and I'll, 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 I was in it for eight and a half years in my own therapy. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half years. It's a lot. It's a commitment. I missed probably one day. One day of therapy, let's, I mean, excluding vacation. So, it, and it's also maybe in just me. I don't know if you've, once again, I don't know if you, you've paid attention to how I, I've, I've been known to go off on living in Houston. But uh, it's just, you know, when I was in Raleigh, I would talk to, excuse me, uh, counselors and stuff. And there, right. and it was, and it was starting to become like a, a process where uh, I would, <coughs> be a lot more attuned and trying to you know fix myself and everything and I, and I had I had um, support from a lot of people I know you know and just in my neighborhood and just people like I hang out with and stuff and right so I, I started to be have and plus it's Raleigh just like it's it's clean and it smells nice right <laughs> and just, you just it's just all just a part of the whole thing where I hear it's beautiful 
Yeah, just build yourself. But, you know, yeah. I had to come back here because I got affected and I was just trying to see if I could just find some work right. in town and just, and, it, and, it, and it's just, and just was really an unfortunate, daunting experience because I would. Is Houston your home or where yeah, are you originally it, from? Well, I was born in New Orleans, but through mysterious circumstances, uh-huh. uh, me and my family moved here to Houston. I, I was raised here for most of my life. Okay. And so this is like uh, the place I've, I've known for a long time. Sure. And just coming back here, I thought, hey, this is Houston. This is my hometown. This is where right. You know, a lot of people know me, and I just know I know the town. It's just, and it's just been a very disappointing experience in terms of just getting into contact with uh, people that I knew and thought, yeah. uh, you know, could help me in my in my in, in my journey or whatever the hell you want to call it, and sure. just trying to see. And also, there's this this new thing now, which is like people just don't want to contact, just want to get in touch with each other here anymore. Just that people don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know if it's just me personally as a person, or it's just that's just the way because just. I, I, you know, it's sad because, like, I just feel like coming back here, I feel more lonesome than I did uh, when I was in Wa- Raleigh. Yeah. And just, it's just like, I know a lot of people. Here, yeah. So. No, you, I mean, you've been in the in the music scene for, shh, since I can remember. Yeah. But, I mean, and you've made a lot of <laughs> connections <laughs> in both ways, you know, positive and negative. But, yeah. you know, I've. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's something about, I understand what you're saying. I think people get into their own routine and it, it makes it difficult to let somebody that's not in their routine get in. Yeah. You know, well, humans are, you know, we like structure. We like um, predictability yeah. and, you know, vulnerability, you know, is very scary for a lot of people mm-hmm. and being vulnerable would mean opening yourself up to, you know, new experiences and having somebody new in your life. Yeah. And it, it, it's a shame that that doesn't happen as often. So I can imagine that's, that was really disappointing to come home after you you did something pretty cool because I think you wrote for a newspaper. Yeah, of uh, that's what I read. Um, you know that must have been really exciting. Then you come home, and not not feeling wanted by your hometown. Yeah, that that sucks. Yeah, it does. You know. Um, yeah, I, and you know. I don't know all the answers. I, I do know that, you know, relationships are tough and it takes effort. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of effort. Have you worked on trying to find, you know, therapy here or? Well, yeah, like I said, I just, uh-huh. um, I'm trying to figure out, like, just like say out loud, just like just been dealing with uh, you know, the Harris Health people and everything. Okay. And just they they have been known to be very harried. Yes. And so, yeah. um, so, so but you know, it's funny because um, I have a psychologist. Like they they just you know have to 
you know, they, they, they position you, you with a psychologist and you say you have to uh, talk to them about stuff. And, right. And I have a psychologist who um, is uh, very, um, you know, who's, who's very keen on making, you know, not the whole drugs and alcohol thing. Sure. And I would tell her, like, yeah, I would occasionally drink and right. she um, considered that to be a major problem. That you would occasionally drink? Yeah. That they said that that was a major problem? Yeah. I should also point that my psychologist, and, and this is not trying, you know, I just, my psychologist is of uh, Middle Eastern descent. Okay. Uh-huh. And so, okay. of course, yeah. you know, Middle yeah. Eastern is well, really, biased. Yeah, I don't sure. really like the whole drinking thing. Right. So she uh, gave me a drug counselor. Okay. And uh, she gave me a drug counselor. And it's funny because I also have like a regular therapy counselor, right? And I have a drug counselor, right? And I find that it's much easier talking to the drug counselor, yeah. about all my problems, yeah, of course, as you- opposed to like everybody else. And it's kind of crazy because even because like once because we don't even talk about the you know drug stuff because I don't because like I'm no do drugs and right. this and everything so. We just talk about everything else. I find I get um, more, um, yeah, you know, more advice and just more than everything. Are you guys mainly just talking about the drugs and alcohol? No, or? no, we're talking about everything. Everything, but are y'all staying in a framework? Like, in- well, like every once in a while, I say, "Yeah, you're not doing drugs yet." No, I'm not. I just say, I, <laughs> and, and I also tell her, like, "Hey, you know, I was at a." Like an art gallery exhibit, right. they had wine, and I drank it, and whatever. But Are they wanting you to be like completely abstain, like abstain from alcohol? I mean, that's well, they would like that. What? But I, but I have to tell them just like, dude, just like I don't know, like it's it's one of those things where it's just like I, it's hard for me to communicate with people just generally because uh-huh. like it get, like it gets well, then that's- my head hurts. <laughs> We're just like trying to talk to people because, especially here, right. if you say the wrong thing, uh, people will just like you have you don't have you have no idea how many times uh, people have uh, just certain people have thought I was uh, stalking them. Okay, because I was there. It's just it's, that is never the reputation that I've heard <laughs> of you. Well, these <laughs> days we're just like right. I, I can tell you, there's like people thought. They saw me. They were scared, and I had to leave the premises, and it made oh. me very depressed because I'm not stalking anybody. Right. I just you just being fucking racist, uh, and so there's that whole thing where people can't admit to their own flaws as human beings, right. and it just makes me even more depressed. Sure. And then the you know drinking sauce and everything. So right. Well, I mean, I <clears throat> so I, I now I understand that a little bit better, in, in the sense of you're using it as you're not an it's alcoholic. You're yeah, but you're depending on it. Yeah, because it's just like I don't know how to talk to people sure. here anymore. I yeah. don't know. I would like to, but it's just like I'm just afraid. It's like you know, you know, I have I I have a day thing where I kind of work and have. Right. To, come in contact with white women and i'm just right. like uh jesus christ what the hell yeah I, you know one thing that i've kind of maybe this is a little off topic but i think it's relevant you know 
just for the audience, I am a white male. <laughs> well, yeah, as you say, you're like an Israeli. Portuguese yeah, but, Jew, but okay, but no, but I'm just, a white yeah, male. Yeah, just off the off the jump. I'm a white male. I will never know what it's like to be a woman in the workplace. I will never know what it's like to be a black man in the workplace or anywhere. Yeah, I will never know what it's like to walk in their shoes. Yeah, and I can imagine, but that doesn't even come close to what it is that people have been through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in case you guys don't know, Craig is a black man. Yeah. So, I don't know what that's like. I imagine it be very difficult on a daily basis. Little remarks, little gestures, little, you know, a woman brings her purse a little bit closer because you sat right next to her. The worst is when uh, you walk past a couple like a, a white guy and a white girl and the white girl suddenly decide to clasp her hand. purse no to clasp the hand the hand of their of their white boyfriend yeah, yeah. it's always the fun, it's the funniest thing because you always see the, the the white guy going why the fuck are you right clasping <laughs> my hand and he sees me and just like yeah woman if you get me get my ass beat here at the best buy oh. because of your racist ass i swear to god yeah you get me get my ass beat in, you know next to the headphones yeah it's Yes. I, and I will never know what that's what that's like. Yeah. And I have a, a, a very good friend, and he, we were him and I were having a drink at this kind of predominantly white bar, and you know, just having conversation. There was a a couple next to us, and he's African American, and and. She somehow he because he couldn't hear, so he kind of joined the conversation, and she moved the purse closer to her. Yeah, and he, like, he's like, "I'll be right back," and he he left for a second. I'm, you know, I I didn't notice anything. Like I I, you know, and I you know I excused myself and I went to go find him. I'm like, "Hey, is everything okay?" He's like, "Did you see what happened?" I said, "No." Like, what happened? He's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. I'm like, come on. And this is a guy I've known for, you know, 15, 20 years. And he's like, you didn't see her grab her purse when I got closer? Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, that. that's a, I'm so sorry. No, I didn't catch that. He's like, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm like, I hear you. I'm not going to go over there and, you know, talk to her. But that opened my eyes to... The, you know, this, that there is still fear, you know, of people who are different. And so going back to this kind of, not only do you have the environment of, of where you grew up and your parents, but also the environment of, you know, a white male run society. Yeah, it, it is kind of. And it affects the psychological yeah. being. Like it, it fucks you up, man. Yeah. Especially living in Raleigh where just like everybody's just like I, I lived in a in a neighborhood mm-hmm. where I swear to God, like people there'd be uh, like I would go to some gathering at a park or something and some, some white guy would, 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 would see me and um would talk about, Hey, where do you live? Like I live like uh, up the up the street and just uh. like oh like, well that's not really part of this neighborhood and and just like I'm like, Hey and I I would know 
So right. these, like some some people lived there, and I would tell them, and they would just no, you stay here, you stay no, no who who uh, who said that? Yeah. And it was just like like people have your back and everything, and you come back to your hometown, yeah, full of people who you thought were your friends, yeah, and it's just like you just are left in a lurch and everything, and it's just. So yeah. depressing. I, I, you know, and I, I think it's a combination of things. I don't. I, I do believe that people get into a routine of, you know, this is my life now. You know, you've got kids, you've got a job, the nine to five, and it's tough to kind of adjust. I, there, there isn't a whole lot of effort into, you know, it, it's tough. There's only so many, you know, minutes in a day. But I, I I understand where you're coming from, without a doubt. It, you know, when talking to either, <laughs> can't believe you have two therapists, but <laughs> I, it's funny because I like I already talked the first one, but it's always like the drug counselor because right. she, she and I are on the same level. Have you guys ever talked about like? Like, why? Like, have y'all ever talked about, like, the root cause of some of these things? Of, of, uh... Anything. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, we uh, talk about everything. The root cause, like, you know, how come it's so difficult for you to talk in public or, you know, start a conversation or have, yeah. you know, small talk? Y'all have talked? I mean, yeah, I'm just we, curious. We, yeah, we talk about that. So. Uh, it also helps, I should point out, my drug counselor is African American. Ah, okay. So it's like sure. know, we just on the same and yeah. like my other counselor, she's like Asian and looks like Ali Wong. <laughs> but so it's just like she like she like comes to you know, wearing like BB clothes and everything <laughs> and just like I don't. So yeah, and, and and you're bringing up a really interesting point. When when we when we look for a therapist or we look we we want to have at least for the initial we want somebody that we kind of connect with or we, yeah. we, we, we find some similarities with. Because the biggest thing about therapy is that connection between the, the therapist and the patient or the yeah. client. That in itself, the relationship between the patient and the client is one of the most important aspects of a good therapeutic relationship uh, uh, outcome. So being able to feel open uh, when you're able to open up to somebody that you you have that connection with that's going to help the therapeutic process. Mm-hmm. Um and being able to stay with it and being able to you know bring up to the therapist, "Hey, you know, you did something that kind of upset me just now. Can we talk about it?" Yeah. Being able to be transparent, being able to talk about what's truly 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 going on internally rather than being afraid to talk about the things that you're worried she might think, you know, you're weird or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know. And, and it also helps that, you know, because my drug counselor often tells me all the problems she's going through, so it helps us, <laughs> like, just like this back and forth, like, uh, let me tell you, shit that happened to me this week. Uh, uh, or really, that happened, kind of happened to me this week, too. Right, and just yeah. like just just have this common ground where it's like you feel open to talk about sure. all stuff. I, you know, I, I kind of go the other way. Mm-hmm. I With self-disclosure, it, it's 
it's very minimal. It's a very asymmetric relationship, the therapist and the and the the patient or the client, because we don't want to fall into the trap of them trying to take care of us. And if they feel like you're having, if they know like, God, you know, I just had the crappiest day. Let me tell you about my day. You know, as a therapist, they're not going to, the patient isn't going to want to burden you Mm -hmm. with, with their stuff. And that becomes an issue. And that's why it's, you know, self-disclosure is very minimal. Well, also, as you mentioned earlier about vulnerability as yeah. a kind of impossible thing, I think it helps, you know, just in my perspective, just to show vulnerability in some areas mm-hmm. because cause you because a lot of people often feel like they're going, they're the only people going through the shit they're going through. Right. And, you know, sometimes, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I understand what you're saying because, like, listen, I had a grandmother right. and her thing was, that every, no matter what you were going through, she was going through something bigger. Sure, uh, and it was just the like, one upper. Yeah, just <laughs> her her pretty catchphrase like you think what you, you think your life is bad, and yeah. so just like nothing. Yeah, you could tell her was just was going to top whatever sure. the hell she was going through. Yeah, and so but you know I think for like some some people are just looking for somebody uh, to sympathize with them. Yeah, and just. Tell like, hey, you know, I've, I've been down that road and everything. Not sure. to be, not to be overwhelming with it, but just, just right. be there for them. But we're gonna go back because that person's listening to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's going back to listening. Yeah. Your grandmother was thinking about a rebuttal rather than just freaking listening to you. Exactly. Yeah. And trying to, you know, one up. Well, let me tell you. If she would have just said, you know, that sucks. God, I'm sorry that you're going through that. Oh, you heard me. Yeah. And so that's, we're so, you know, going, going, going to just slow down and be, you know, but it's tough to be vulnerable. And I think just, you know, without getting into politics or anything like that, empathy is something that's really lacking in general in society. Empathy and empathy. Excuse me. Sympathy and empathy. both, yeah. It, just, Mindfulness, all of it. Like it's, it's. I don't know what it is where it's just like caring for your fellow man. Yeah, has become a thing a lot of people would rather not do. And I that that's so hard for me to understand. It's so difficult for me to understand that. Um, just to be nice. Just to be nice. And, and again, that that's not being liberal or, you know, right wing or left wing. I'm, this is just being nice. It's just, not even just being nice, just being understanding. Yeah. Respectful. <laughs> like, like people, like the whole reason this show exists, right. basically, is because there are just people ready to call out people about bullshit that really doesn't matter. And just, I mean, it's one thing to. People are always ready to say, like, "Oh, this person did this. Right. We should not pay." And it's just like, mm. it's like, are you, like we should really pick our spots in terms of like the people who are really doing the most damage. Those are the people you need to cancel, as opposed to somebody who just said a thing that was very idiotic at one point and just sure. 
just like had some sort of brain fart. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and people just move, and people move on so quickly anyway. Right. Way, so. Yeah. Well, and, and you know that that's a good point. You know, you're so worried, Craig. You're so worried about what. You know, if you were to talk to somebody, wh- you know how they're gonna v- view you mm-hmm. with what you say. It's like I want you to be honest. I want you to really think about this. This is me therapizing a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> why I had you on the show? <laughs> <laughs> I won't charge you. I mean, if you say something just so, how long do you really think they're gonna think about your words? Oh, dude. Not not if you're writing, <laughs> because I already know that you get in trouble when it's when it's in black and white. But I'm saying if you say something like, I don't know, or I don't know, uh, gosh, people, people are fucking vengeful, man. Well, it depends on what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're, I'm just talking a random off the cuff comment that's not offensive to anyone. Well, <laughs> once again, people, well, then you can't like be something a- you think would never offend anybody, I mean, right? Know, would offend somebody, and it's just that's, that's the thing you don't know what is offensive yeah. to who anymore. Well, then we've got to kind of yeah. Well, that's a different. Thing that yeah. We can go two more hours on that. Yeah. The you know the I think then we've got to take responsibility and be a little bit more mindful of what we're saying and think about how, you know, what, you know, what do I imagine will happen Mm -hmm. if I say this to this person that I know is very sensitive to certain situations? Yeah. We have to be, we have to take a little responsibility on what's coming out of our mouth too. Uh, And, and that's, I think where that, the the mindfulness and it's something um, that I've kind of learned called mentalization, which is uh, Peter Fonagy and uh, Glenn Gabbard and Bateman and all these researchers, um, actually from England and Houston, um, that, that it's like uh, empathy to the nth degree. It's yeah. it's keeping other people's mind mm-hmm. in your mind. Yeah. So in other words, you know, you introduced me, you invited me to the show you know, I genuinely like you, but I'm going to be courteous and I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to, I imagine that that's the right thing to do, but that's genuinely who I am as well. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, but it's also that it's like if you don't do that, you know, to, to certain people, they like, they'll remember that, like, you know, oh, sure. Right. And, and you know what? Are those really the people we want to hang out with, anyways? Uh, well, the, and unfortunately, but those are the people that you have to deal, come in contact with. At yeah. some point, yeah. it's, it's never like it's never the cool people. <laughs> right. It's never the people who know, like, who never people in a position of right. uh, a high position, like, oh, I know this guy, he can fuck with me. Right. Like, no, but it's always like somebody, like, oh, shit, I gotta, gotta deal with this person on a daily basis. And just, yeah. And just, side to side. Gotta walk on eggshells. <sighs> That's a horrible, yeah, no, no. I, and we've all kind of experienced that. And I think it's, we always just go back to, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of the funny. <laughs> do you remember the movie Roadhouse? It's probably the whitest movie ever to exist. Yes. With Patrick Swayze. And it's in, I think it's taken in Jasper. It was filmed in Jasper, Texas. Mm-hmm. You know. And <laughs> Patrick Swayze's talking to the to the bouncers about just be nice. No matter what they're doing, just be nice. Yeah. Until it's not until it's time not to be nice. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean there's some truth to it. You're not responsible for 
other people's actions. You're not. We're, we're not that powerful. Now, can we influence it? Absolutely. We do. We are responsible for what we say, yeah. how, we wanna, how we want to handle things. That's what we're responsible for. So if we can kind of think about that, if they choose to be in a grumpy mood and they want to make you feel like walking on eggshells, it's up to you to say, you know what, that's their issue and be able to separate the two. Oh, oh, it's gotten to the point where I'll be talking (laughs) to somebody and they're acting all pissy or whatever. and And I automatically know this has nothing to do with me. Yeah, and this is like this is them, and yeah. this is whatever the fuck they're going. It's their shit. And I'm not a part of this, right? And it's their shit. They might Someone's have. Someone's gonna leave right now, so. right? And and you know they might have had a bad day. They might have had, you know, an argument with their wife or their husband. I mean, what have you? And they're just kind of projecting it or pushing it onto you. Yeah. Or you know, you did something that you thought was appropriate. You know, you you made a, a decision that this is how I'm going to handle it or whatever it, whatever it is, and they didn't agree with it, and they're mad at you, well, they're allowed to be mad at you the same way that now it's up to you on how you want to handle it. Yeah. Projection yes. is a constant oh, absolutely. here in Houston where oh. it's like, you just say something, and it's like, <laughs> hey, what are you doing here? And like, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> Get on the Houston freeway. That's saying, projection. Where did that come from? Yeah. Like, but you realize, oh, there's just like there's like a whole bunch of shit on their head. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and that and that's you know that's the truth. We we all have a bunch of shit in our head. We're we're con- and you know slow down. Yeah. For us to be able to slow down and really listen, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so uh, Ethan, uh, where can people uh, contact you on the social medias if they want to, like, or just like give a plug to your operation if you uh, want to so um i have a website it is www.ethankleinpsychotherapy uh, i take that back www.ethankleintherapy.com um and then so that's for obviously my psychology stuff and um my psychotherapy stuff and you know just on social media if if you want to look for me on it's it's kind of a pri- I'm only on Facebook. Uh, if you want to look for me, it takes I'm a little I'm kind of private just because I'm kind of a private person when it comes down to separating my worlds. You know, you're not on the gram. <laughs> I'm not on the gram. No, no. The the guy that runs my website really wants me to be on the gram and Twitter and. What else is there? A snap and I'm like, that's just TikTok. too much. Um, what else? TikTok. I've never. I have. Wow. I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the new Vine. Baby. It's the new. Okay, gotcha. So, but if you're interested in music, you know that's going to be more on my, you know, Facebook page, and it's just Ethan Klein, and um, you know, just it, it doesn't have. It's not all music, but it, you know, I, I, I like new friends, so. Well, uh, thank you uh, very much for uh, coming down here. And Absolutely. Just, and just guiding me through whatever the hell I'm dealing with. Yeah. And uh, just uh, just good luck with uh, good luck whatever the hell you got going. Right. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you inviting me over. You and I have known each other for a long time. I've always had, you know, great respect for you as a person and 
um, for your writing. So uh, it, it was. It's kind of an. It's definitely an honor to be here, and you asked some asked some really good questions, and I appreciate it. Well, yeah, like I said, I've been drinking. <laughs> I'm just a, again. I'm upset that you didn't offer me a beer, especially because yeah, it's, it's, it's coming, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I know, just like usually, I like. Yeah, like I said, we got a lot of beer here, but I, like you, you carry with you had the the water, water yeah. flask, and I'm just like, oh, this he's probably healthy. It's also hot in here. Yeah, exactly. We're recording this on a different day, but <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate right. it. Peace. Bye. Well, I revealed a lot. Uh, thank you uh, very much, Ethan Klein, for helping me out with that, and. Uh, Thank you for listening. Everything is canceled. Uh, until next time, this is uh, Craig D. Lindsay saying, Sarah Huckabee, you, me, and a bunch of uh, Nutter Butters that I got at CVS. See if we can make that happen.